follow you, your heart. You guys have probably heard that phrase over and over and over again. The culture loves this phrase, follow your heart. Whether you're making an important decision, working up the courage to ask out a girl or a boy, uh, deliberating whether to buy a caravan and travel the country, or um, you know, someone's just going to inevitably offer the advice, follow your heart. Follow the desires of your heart. We hear it in movies, we hear it in music, in books. It sounds so simple. It sounds so tempting, so obvious. At least until you realize that the human heart has sociopathic tendencies. Then it's not as cute. How many marriages have been broken up by this advice? How many children are without fathers because of this advice? How many spiritually dead people have walked away from Jesus because of this advice. If someone tells you, follow your heart, guess what your heart's going to say? Sin. It's going to feel good. Go and do it. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about the heart. But the first and foremost thing is this. Your heart was not designed to be followed. You don't follow your heart. You lead your heart. They're made to be led, not to be followed. Our hearts are not the captains of the ship, but something that God exhorts us uh, to lead. And as we lead this heart, we're going to lead it into joy. We're going to lead it into fulfillment. We're going to lead it into a knowledge of Him. Uh, John Bloom says this. He says, your heart will not save you. You need to be saved from your heart. In fact, most of your problems stem from your heart, from the desires of your heart. And there are things that you follow in this world, and there are things that you must lead, and your heart is a thing you must lead. So the advice, follow your heart, is the most absolutely foolish thing to do, according to the book of Proverbs. If anyone ever tells you, follow your heart, just be like, I'm right, thanks. I know that, I know my heart, my heart's not going to lead me anywhere good. Proverbs has a very simple message about our heart, uh, Proverbs 23, 19, it says this, Hear my son. And be wise and direct your heart in the way. Notice it doesn't say, hear my son and be wise and follow your heart and it will show you the way. It tells you the opposite. Direct your heart. You control your heart. Don't let your heart control you. Your heart is a beast to be tamed, to be directed. It's a lot like a bull in a china shop. It's a lot harder to tame than you realize. And the more you try to wrangle your heart, the more you realize, whoa, man, this thing is messed up. You don't realize until you try to throw a lasso around it and bring it to bear. So let's dive in. Let's dive in. If we need to tame our heart, if our heart's this raging bull in a china shop, well, how does Proverbs tell us to tame it? Proverbs 2.2 Make your ear attentive to wisdom. And incline your heart to understanding. Proverbs 2.10 Wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Proverbs 10.8 The wise of heart will receive commandments but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Proverbs 15.14 The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge but the mouths of fools feed on folly. The last one, 18.15 An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Now, the the word heart shows up about 70 times in the book of Proverbs, 
And I would love to go through every single one of those times it comes up, but I've had to cut out a substantial number of them, but we're going to deal with the most important ones. And the Hebrew understanding of the heart is this. Think of it as the seat of personality. Now, when we think of the heart, we think of the head and the heart. We have this dichotomy between the head and your heart. Your head is the smart one, the rational one. Your head is the one that tells you, do this, this is rational, and your heart's the one that just wants to do whatever it wants to do, whenever it wants to do it. It's kind of an impetulant child, and then your head is the cold, calculating scientist, and the two of them are constantly fighting and at war with each other and trying to bring each other to bear. Uh, That's what our culture views about the heart, but that's not the Hebrew understanding of the heart. It's the culmination of who you are, is your heart. It's your emotions, your thinking, your reasoning, and ultimately, your whole inner being. Think of it like this, your heart is who you really are. Your heart is your personality. Your emotions are not devoid of reason. You know how I know that? Because when you're insulted, you don't have a cold, calculating response to it, do you? You don't think, oh, I wonder why they said that. Let's work through this. You get an emotional reaction. And you get an emotional reaction to someone saying something to you, an emotional reaction to an objective event. But in the same root, our reason is not entirely devoid of emotion. You can't really separate the two. Because when you learn things, it hopefully affects your emotion. Cold, dry facts don't move us in the same way as truth told in different ways, like stories. Emotions and reasons, reason, they're not opposing forces, but in a sinful fallen world like ours, well, they can become opposing forces. But emotions are great. Reason is great. And when they're working together, oh, that's a joyful life. That's a good life. But when they're working against each other, that's when you fall into a lot of problems. But your heart, don't think of it as your emotions. Think of it as the whole thing, the whole thing wrapped together. The person who has no emotions has a wrong heart. The person who only has emotions has a wrong heart. It's not just about emotions. The person who, uh, uh, reason is caught up in this. And so if we take those verses from Proverbs and apply it to your heart, we quickly understand something about our heart. It doesn't know much. Our heart needs to be taught because we're born basically ignorant. We're born ignorant. They need wisdom, they need knowledge. Not only that, we need to bend our heart in order to receive it. It's not enough to be told it, we need to bend our heart in such a way that we can actually receive it. The reason Proverbs has to tell us this is because we're not naturally inclined towards learning. Now, some people are, they're freaks. Um, I'm one of those weird people that just loves learning but I've quickly come to realize that there's like a few people that are like me. I'm not saying that you guys aren't. You might, you might be that way. But generally speaking, we're not really inclined towards learning. And guess what? Even though I'm inclined towards learning, it's generally not the right things that I need to be learning. It's not the helpful things. It's the trivial things. I probably spent hours and hours and hours reading about World War II. But at the end of the day, it's not going to help me as much as if I actually get into the Word and start reading more of the Word. Our ears, naturally, are not attentive to wisdom. That's what Proverbs is telling you. You're not inclined to wisdom, especially if you're not interested in the subject. And the book of Proverbs calls that a heart problem. A heart problem. What Proverbs is telling us is this, is we need to approach wisdom and knowledge in such a way that it captures our hearts. 
that it captures your heart, that it takes your heart and turns it into something else. So you need both your emotion and your intellect because honestly, if, if I pulled out uh, systematic theology and every time you came into church, we jumped open to the next page and I read through a systematic theology, maybe 1% of you would froth it and come to church every time and be excited. The rest of you guys would be like, oh my goodness, we need to get through this. It's because we need our hearts to be captured by truth. And we need to know that God's truth captures our hearts. It is not dry, it is not cold. The problem is not with God's word, the problem is with the heart. So whether you are, you know, that person that's just like cold, dry facts, that's what you're all about, or if you're that person that's all about those emotional highs, and if something doesn't give you an emotional high, well, it's not worth your time. It must not be true. If something doesn't give you an emotional high, well, guess what? That's not true. But if we know next to nothing about who God is, our emotional highs, they're just imaginary experiences. Proverbs is telling us that our approach to wisdom should be a source of joy. That's a good uh, Proverbs 2.10. Wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. How many of us can say amen to that proverb? How many of us can say, I, this is a pleasant experience for me. This is something that I love, is receiving the knowledge of God when wisdom comes into my heart, when I learn more, when I grow more, when God is at work in me. Is this pleasant to your soul or is it a thorn to your soul? See, that's why when, if we follow our hearts, especially considering our hearts are ignorant and don't know much, we are destined to be shipwrecked. What captain would put their infant son in command of the ship? It might be cute putting a little captain hat on him and watching him control the wheel until a mighty storm rolls in and then it's not so cute anymore. What CEO would put a homeless man in charge of his business? What opera singer would put the lady down the street in front of the crowd instead of her? Outside of God, letting our hearts lead us into truth is like letting our toddler lead our lives. It's like letting our children run our lives because it's cute, but they don't really know much and they're not really going to lead us into truth. The wise son in the book of Proverbs trains his heart for obedience Not only does he do it because it's like a duty, he knows that he has to obey, but because he wants to do it. His heart is in it. His heart is in it, and it points him in the direction he needs to go. And it might feel counterintuitive at first, but you need to be able to wield the power of your heart. You need to be able to wield it and point it. You can accomplish much on the back of a charging bull if you charge it in the right direction. It can also destroy your life if you charge it in the, right, uh, the wrong direction. So we need, basically what we're going to be trying to uncover, this is what we're going to be trying to do, is we're going to try to change the DNA of our hearts, the makeup of our hearts. Proverbs 3, 1 to 5. Pay very close attention to this passage. Look at the language in it. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years and life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. The word heart shows up many times here, doesn't it? 
The point is this. It's not enough to know what is true. It's not enough to know truth. It says here, let your heart keep my commandments. You've got to want it. That's what it comes down to. You've got to want it. You have to desire it. Your emotions need to be caught up in it. Your emotions have to be caught up in keeping God's commands. Those who obey God the most are those who have a strong desire to do so. If you had no desire to follow God, what are you going to do? You're not going to follow God. If you have a strong desire to follow Him, guess what? It's going to change your life. The DNA of your heart will change. Cerebral knowledge is not enough. Your heart needs to change. King Solomon says in that passage, he says, bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Now, back in the day, you couldn't just get your hands on a piece of paper. A piece of paper was very uh, costly. It cost a lot of money to get parchment. So what they would do is they'd write in the soil, or if they wanted something to last long and not get washed away with the rain, they would write on a flat piece of rock, and someone would come along with a chisel and write on it. And that thing, you, you'd have to work really hard to get something written, uh, taken off that. And you need to picture, Proverbs is saying, your heart as a flat stone, that some stone worker has painfully engraved the words of God on. These words, if they're on stone, if you're thinking of your heart as a stone, a tablet, and it's written on it, can they easily be eroded away? Can the rain come and get rid of it? I mean, after a long period of time, definitely it could, but not as quickly as it could wash off the soil. Verse 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And that's the key. It's the heart. Proverbs 6, 20 to 21. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always and tie them around your neck. Seven, two to three. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my commandments as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Again, this language constantly through the book of Proverbs. When Proverbs says something over and over and over and over again, it wants to get your attention. It's like a parent constantly, mom, 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 mom. The the child wants to get your attention. Proverbs is repeating it to get your attention. It's trying to wake you up from your slumber. It's trying to wake you up from your rebellion. It's trying to say, pay attention. This is important. And this is what we need to be doing. In the book of Proverbs, there are two kinds of heart. The wise heart that's growing in knowledge or the perverted heart, which belongs to the fool. The man of perverted heart shows up again and again and again in the book of Proverbs. They're envious of other people, always driven by their appetite, whether it's for food, comfort, lust, always self-centered, always self-serving. Let's look at a few examples, Proverbs 6, uh, 12 to 14, and also verse 18. It says, a worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his fingers, with perverted heart, devises evil, continually sowing discord. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil. Oh, hush. Really going after them. But the point is this, when it's saying winking with your eyes, signaling with your feet, pointing with your fingers, it's saying they're always doing something behind the scenes. Always out of eyeshot of the person they're talking to. Always behind someone's back. Always directing their influence in the shadows. 
behind closed doors, manipulating and creating strife, creating disharmony. Proverbs calls this man a man of perverted heart who devises evil. He's always plotting the next thing that will fulfill the desire of his heart. Why is he acting like this? Why are they like this? Really simple answer. Because he wants to. Because he wants to act like that. Do you know why he wants to act like that? He has a perverted heart. Whatever his heart tells him, there he will be led. The advice, follow your heart, is foolish indeed. Proverbs 12.20 Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. 16.5 Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Notice that arrogant in heart. Heart shows up again. 17.20 A man of crooked heart does not discover good. And one with a dishonest tongue falls into calamity. The ironic thing is, is the person with perverted hearts hears these things read out to them and do you think they're going to be like, that's me, they're talking about me. Of course not. They'll immediately think of someone else. They'll immediately assume, these verses aren't talking about me. Ah, Of course not, of course not. Not only are they good at deceiving others, they're experts at deceiving themselves. Proverbs 21.2 Every way of man is right in his own eyes but the Lord weighs the heart. Every way of man is right in his own eyes. We could go for an excursion out in the streets, pull some sorry bloke out in front of the whole church. He probably wouldn't talk to us, but let's say he did. And we asked him, hey mate, do you think you're a good person? He'll say yes. He'll probably add like a little, no one's perfect, but I'm a pretty good person. Everyone thinks their way is right. The problem is, they don't have to answer to themselves. We like to think that one day, we come up before God, and we're like, oh, there you are, God, you're, you're me. Ah, oh, this, is, this is delightful. I have to answer to myself. Well, I already know what I'm going to do with myself. Pat myself on the back, let myself in. That's a problem. We're not answering to ourselves, but to God. We're going to stand before the creator of the entire universe. It says he, he is the one who weighs the heart. He knows everything, every thought, inclination of the heart. I've probably like used this illustration of death, but if we get a USB, plug it in your brain, download all your thoughts, play it up on the screen for everyone, would you be here long? I'd be out of here in less than a second. I would not want to stick around. I'd catch the next plane to Brazil. See you guys later. I, I could barely live with myself living in my own brain, let alone you guys knowing. And the horrifying thing is God is watching that all the time. He's like the one person you don't want to see that USB. I'd much rather you all see it than he sees it. And yet we're in this position where God sees all our sin laid before him and we're in trouble. And there are some people I know who have struggled psychologically with desires that are seriously messed up, desires they don't want desires that they don't want to have. They can't seem to get rid of it no matter how hard they try. And at least that person can see their sin. But the real danger is when you're living a life of indulgence, you're following your heart, you don't even realize, and one day you've got to stand before God. Horrifying. The terrifying thing is all the people in our community, that's the reality. We have to tell them about Jesus. Now you might be thinking, yeah, boy, this is a downer. But listen, 
God is not telling you these things to rob you of your joy and your happiness. He's warning you because he loves you. He's warning you because he wants you to know, not only to escape judgment, but to give you joy in the here and now. And our hearts are where we experience satisfaction. It's where we experience joy. And if we've got a problem with our hearts, then we have a joy problem, don't we? In fact, the quickest way to know whether you have a problem with your heart is whether or not you're experiencing joy. Don't follow your heart thinking that it's going to lead you into joy. Follow God. If you follow Him, He will lead your heart into joy. Look at uh, uh, some of these Proverbs. I've got a long list, but I think this is my last really long list of Proverbs. No, it isn't. Okay, it's right. We'll get to it. Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. 14.10. The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. 14.13. Even in laughter, the heart may ache, and the end of joy may be grief. 14.30. A tranquil... Oh my goodness, can't speak. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. 15.13. A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow heart the spirit is crushed. 17.22. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Last one, 15.15. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. You notice how in all of those, whether they're negative or positive, whether the heart was the problem in the situation or the heart was a good thing in the situation, Right at the center of what the heart is, is our experience of joy. It is where we experience joy. It is where we experience anxiety. It is where we experience uh, a downfall, anxious, grief-stricken heart. Um, and we can see these comparisons that in, in the book of Proverbs. One heart in the book of Proverbs is devastated and without hope. The other heart, as 15, uh, 15, 15 shows us, might be afflicted, but in the midst of their affliction, it says the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. What is going on there? It's because one of them has hope and the other doesn't. There is a hopeful heart and there is a heart without hope. A crushed spirit dries up the bones. Those without hope have to put all their happiness and joy in material things that can die, break, or be destroyed. Their hope is always temporal, finite. The wise son trusts in the Lord. The wise son can remain glad in the midst of trial. The wise son knows not to follow where his heart can take him. The wise son knows to direct his heart towards the truth in scripture. I'm uh, trying to renovate my backyard at the moment. When I first moved in, uh, some of you guys may know it was full of weeds, full of spiders and ants, um, just full of all sorts of uh, it's got wolf spiders running around. One of them almost ran on Calvin. wasn't great. Um, and so I've had to kind of come in. And, and those that have seen my backyard know it's kind of a blank slate, which is why we bought it. We really wanted to do some work on the backyard. I put in a few fruit trees. I've sprayed the weeds. Uh, Ian's trying to help me grow some really nice grass across the lawn. Uh, and I've got a few plans to turn my backyard into something really nice in about five to ten years. A lot of us feel this way about our heart. Get rid of a few weeds in our lives, 
plant a few fruit trees, put some good things, plant a few good habits, and in five to ten years, my heart problem will be fixed. Just like my backyard will be fixed. But we have a problem. Our hearts aren't just broken. They're not just full of weeds. They're terminal. They're dead. Ephesians 2 tells us that we were dead in our sins. Listen to to our, our Proverbs 20, verse 9. It's a rhetorical question. Who can say, I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. Proverbs is simple. None of us are pure. Is that a problem? Yeah. Matthew 5, 8, listen to Jesus. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know what the complete opposite of this verse is? Cursed are the impure of heart, they will not see God. That is the opposite of this verse. Hang on a minute. Jesus says we have to be pure in heart to see God, and Proverbs is saying, who has a pure heart? No one has a pure heart. Well, do we have a problem? We do have a problem. We have a massive problem. We have a huge problem. Uh, Proverbs 21.2 said earlier, it says, Every way a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. God is going to weigh our hearts. And will your heart be pure before Him? I know mine won't. I'm in big trouble. And if you're anything like me, you're in big trouble too. Jesus pretty much puts the nail in the coffin in Matthew 15.19 and 20. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Do you think Jesus tells you to follow your heart? No, not at all. It's evil. He's out of your heart is where these things come. It comes from within you. It is you. You can blame other people for your actions as much as you want, but ultimately, if you were pure of heart, you would never have had those reactions. Jeremiah 17.9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I know I can't understand my own heart. I can't understand my self-destructive ways, why I always seem to destroy things in my life, why I always seem to, not take, for gra- uh, to take for granted the blessings of my life. And the heart is just beyond comprehension. And the only being who truly understands you, who truly understands how messed up your heart is, is God. And as I said before, the one being you don't want to know. Proverbs 27, 19. As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. You guys remember the, um, the old uh, Greek mytho- mythological story of Narcissus who goes down to the stream and the stream, he can see his own face. Back in those days, we didn't have mirrors or iPhones to take selfies or anything like that. To see your own face you'd have to look into a very still body of water. And Narcissus had never seen himself before. And you know what he saw in that water? Himself. And he was so beautiful. And he didn't realize he was seeing himself. He thought he was seeing this trapped, beautiful man in the water. And he spent all day, every day, looking at this trapped, beautiful man in the water. And Proverbs is saying here, as water face reflects face, when you look into the water and you see your face, that back in those days, that's seeing a mirror. Well, what's the mirror of a man's personality? His heart. It says, so the heart of man reflects the man. If you want to know deep down who a person is, 
It's the heart. C.S. Lewis says, if you want to see if, whether you've got rats in your cellar, you don't make a lot of noise before you open the door. You want to open it quickly and see the rats scuttling away. If you want to see whether a man has an anger problem, take him off guard. If you want to see if, whether I have an anger problem, ride with me in my car. You'll find very quickly, I've got a problem. I need to deal with it. You don't try not to make a lot of noise so people can put up their filters and act really good. If you catch them off guard, you see the real them. The heart of man reflects the man. The problem is not that we need to renovate our hearts. Really, at the end of the day, we need a new heart. We need to knock the whole house down and start again. And if this is where the sermon ended, it would be a bleak reality. Um, it would be a bleak end, uh, sorry, start to this year, 2021. We're all just going to walk away really bleak. But we know the story doesn't end here, does it? Jeremiah 31, 33. Really listen to the language of this. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. See how similar that language is to Proverbs? As I was reading Proverbs, I was just stunned by how similar it is. God is going to write his law on our hearts. He's going to write his law up within them. Remember when the book of Proverbs constantly tells you, write these things on the tablets of your heart? Proverbs was giving you something impossible to do. But here God is saying, I will do this. I will write it. This is my work. And we know through the New Testament that we need God to work in us through the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us and changing our desires, sanctifying our heart. We need God to do this work. If you have ever spent time fighting sin, you get to a point where you're like, I'm so weary of this. God, I need you to do this in me. I need you to do this in me. Listen to Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Ezekiel is saying our hearts are like stone, impervious to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is calling us into relationship with Him, and we're like stone. We're like stone resisting the Holy Spirit. And so God decides to give us a new heart. He decides not to renovate, but to knock down and rebuild. God basically deconstructs your life and then reconstructs something different. And for those of us that know Jesus, we know that He is deconstructing us. He has deconstructed us and He is constructing us. He made us alive with Christ. He's put a new heart and a new spirit. And according to the Bible, right back to what we are talking about at the start, following our heart is the most silly piece of advice. What we need to do is actually get rid of it and get a new one. Romans 8.14 for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You're not automatically a child. Someone will say, we're all children of God. And if they mean in the sense that God created everyone, then they're right, but we're not children of God in the sense that we're part of God's family. 
God says that we needed to be adopted into his family. God actually adopts us into his family. It's only those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, that are sons of God. If you have had this work done on you, you are a son of God. Jesus calls this work being born again. Being born again, being a new creation, being something different. Uh, Theologians call this regeneration, being regenerate. It's at that moment when you realize that Jesus is God and that Jesus has saved you and that he's given you a clean heart and removed the heart of stone from you. It's that moment when you were changed. And I know not all of us can point to a moment, but all of us have had that work done if you believe in Jesus. He caused you, not you, he caused you to have a desire for his work. He caused you to have a desire for his commandments. He wrote it on your heart. You didn't write it on your own heart. He changed your desire. Before you met Jesus, what did your heart want? I tell you one thing your heart didn't want. God. Your heart didn't want God. It might have wanted to keep God around so that you could be blessed and protected by God, that you could get all the benefits of knowing God without actually knowing Him. But before our heart was changed, we did not want God. And so what happens when you have these people that don't desire God? Well, God steps in and changes that. God steps in and changes that and gives us faith and restores us and brings us salvation. And all of a sudden, the book of Proverbs is open to you because now you have the Spirit. Now you can obey the things that you see in the book of Proverbs. You want the wisdom and knowledge of God. If we go back and talk about what we had before, this is something that God is now doing in you. You can have all the more confidence that this work will be done in you. Before, you may have been apprehensive. But now, you've got the Holy Spirit on your side. You're going to be anxious while the Holy Spirit's on your side? Not me. If God is working these power within me, then all these things are possible. A lot of things change. Most important is your relationship with God. Some people will say, you know, Jesus came and he just taught us to love people, to be nice to people. But then ask them, didn't Jesus come to give us a relationship with God? Didn't Jesus come to restore us to God? Why do we always leave God out of the picture? That's kind of the big deal of what Jesus has, is us being able to do the will of God, being able to follow God, him dying in our place so that he can reconcile us with God. Isn't that kind of the big deal? And if we're a bunch of people that say, we have been reconciled by God, we have come into relationship with God, well, there better be in a relationship there, oughtn't there? There better be something there. If there's nothing there, then we've got a problem, a big problem. Maybe this work hasn't been done in us. Proverbs looks beyond our hearts and points us towards God. We need God to do a work in us because we are incapable of saving ourselves. We need to believe in Jesus because he has made it possible. Without his death, God would not be able to change us. Without him taking our punishment, God would not be able to make us clean. God just can't wipe all your sin under the rug as much as you might want him to. But God is a righteous and holy judge. If he does that, he is no longer God. But because Jesus rose again from the dead and he died to take away your sins, he is able to change your heart. But only through Jesus. God doesn't come along, skipping down the street, see your heart and be like, whoop, here's a new one. It 
cost him his son to give you that new heart. It cost him blood. And because Jesus rose again from the dead, we will rise again from the dead too. And the regeneration from, of the heart is the first foretaste of the kingdom to come in the resurrection. So what do you do if you think your heart hasn't been changed? Well, the answer is because you may not have trusted in Jesus. Only through faith in Jesus can your heart be changed. If you want a new heart, you need Jesus. And for the Christian in the room, keep yielding your heart to Jesus as God changes your desires and conforms you into the image of his son. Keep yielding your heart to God. Let's pray. Father, we confess that there are many things that distract us and lead us away from you, things that cause us to walk in disobedience and cause us to be far from you. And Lord, we want to repent of those things and bring them before you and confess them and ask your forgiveness. Lord, I know the people of this church and I know they love you, but Lord, we have sometimes struggled. We have sometimes been in dark places. And Lord, praise be that you do not abandon us when we walk astray, Lord, but you go after us like that sheep that has moved on from the flock and you bring us back. And Lord, I don't know who needs to hear this, but we need you, Lord. We need you to restore us. We need you to help this year, 2021, be a year where we glorify and honor you and see your kingdom expand. And Lord, for those of us here who have not had this new heart, I pray, Lord, that you would give it to them that this would be the day that they trust in you, Jesus, that this would be the day that they yield their heart to you and, Lord, you transform them. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Continue this work in Jesus' name. Amen.